What is up? We're back. I, I need to apologise. We are a day late. Where we're a day late. Sorry. Sometimes some stuff happens uh, and you just have to miss a day. So it's okay. Here we are. Welcome back to the Give Em Liam podcast. I'm Liam. And thank you to the Cover Podcast Network, thecover.com.au. Once again, they make all this happen. They pay, they pay our bills, I guess. You, I guess you could say. Uh, also, I need to apologise because I've been spruiking Riverside this whole time. They haven't even put the, the tile up on the website yet, so that's going to happen at some point in the, in the next couple of days. So I encourage you to at least click on it, go have a look. You know, there's some affiliate marketing stuff going on, so there's some, uh, there's some money coming our way if, if we get that done. Before I get into speaking with my guest, just want to shout out Super W. Super W's back. One round in the books. Looks like the Fijiana are going to be the team to beat. But, you know, I really want to just highlight how good a product it has become and how enjoyable it is. And I implore you, if you've got an opportunity to, get down to a game buy a ticket, you know, even even if you are there to see the men's team, just show up a couple hours earlier and watch the girls. I promise you won't be disappointed. I promise you'll enjoy it. I promise you'll have fun. So just do it. Just do yourself a favor and do it. And I guess that brings me to my next my next point. So it's not it's not often I agree with something Michael Checker says because I think, yeah, we are we have very different we have diverging values. We have a very different approach to to the way we think about the game. You know, the way the way we approach coaching and and all of that sort of thing. But there's two players, two really young players playing Super Rugby at the moment: Rajan Pesitoa and Will Harris. Rajan Pesitoa, you know, if you've been hiding under a rock, he's playing fly half for the force. He is a Perth local, uh, but did a year in Canberra with the Brumbies before shifting back. And he, look, great footballer. He really is. He's got time on the ball. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He kicks well. He reads the game well. He defends well. You know, I can't, I can't fault his game at all. But what I do want to say is that we can't put pressure on this kid at 20 years old and call him the incumbent. You know, Tim Horan, as great a footballer as you as you were, you, you have a responsibility as someone in the media to look after this kid. And by by pushing that agenda and saying, oh, he needs to be he needs to be playing for the Wallabies. He needs to be in the camp. You're just dismissing the body of work that Quade Cooper's put together, that James O'Connor's put together, and that Noah Lalesio's put together. Like has everyone just fucking forgotten that Noah Lalesio is twenty two years old? He's twenty two. Well, like we we haven't you know we haven't given him a chance to figure out the number ten jersey, like I, I I want it known too that that Noah, he's only been playing fly half 
since 2018, right? And even in 2018, he made the shift halfway through the year. And I, and I know that because I played with him. He was playing in the centres for the majority of the year. And then we had an injury at fly half and he got shifted about midway through the year and and then into the NRC season and then, you know, became a fly half from there. So it's really unfair to be out here saying, you know, we've got to put him in the Wallaby squad. One, he's done nothing. I'm talking about Rajan Pesatoa. He's had three good football games, maybe two, right? We need to allow him to develop. We need to allow him to make mistakes because if you heap that pressure on him and then he does have a poor game, guess what's going to happen? Everyone's going to turn on him quick smart. Look at what happened to Christian Leolifano at the start of his career, right? And I, I want I want the same thing noted about Will Harris. Yes, I really like his game. I think he I think he could be a world class number eight. But then we're just dismissing what Pete Samu is doing. We're dismissing what Harry Wilson is doing. But let's give these guys a chance. Let's let them mark make their mark. Put a stamp on a career in Super Rugby before we just hand them a Wallabies jumper. It's it's the entire problem with our system. And on that note, you know we're feeding that we're feeding that 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 narrative. We're feeding that that thing because we're now saying that you only need to do five years of Super Rugby or thirty tests to be eligible to then go play overseas, but still be eligible for the Brumbies. So you know, if we're putting guys in at 19, 20 years old, by the time they're by the time they're actually ready, by the time they're at their peak or should be at the start of their peak, they they're going to be playing in France because they're going to be earning more money. They're going to be playing in Japan because they're going to be earning more money. So I'm not going to rant about this too much, but it it is really frustrating as someone you know who's I guess who's part of the system but then is is an onlooker is still a fan to you know hear all this have all this pressure put on really really young young kids before they've even had a chance to to play the game consistently for a whole season you know two years ago Rajan Pesitoa was playing fly half for his school team so let's just chill out on the on the giving guys a wallaby jumper and heaping that kind of pressure on them let's Let's actually support what they're doing in Super Rugby. Let's let's give them praise where it's due for sure, but let's not heap the pressure of a Wallabies jumper on it on 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 the shoulders of a young guy. And let's also not dismiss the body of work that's been put together by the by by the incumbents. I mean, everyone saw what Quay Cooper did last year. Everyone appreciates the body of work that James O'Connor's put together, and everyone can see. Yes, Noel Alessio has been up and down, but he has also got the potential to take over that ten jersey. So let's let's just chill, all right? Let's just let let's just let the Super Rugby season happen and see what happens. That's all I'll say on that. The other concern I have, and I, I can really only speak to what's happening in Canberra, but I can obviously see what's going on on the TV. Crowds are really poor. Um, and I think 
I think we can only blame COVID so much for that. Um, so anyone listening to this, even if you don't go to the game, can you please just buy a ticket? <laughs> like, you know, the memberships are great. Buy a membership if you can. But really, you know, you're not going to sell to to any any rugby team in Australia. You're not going to be able to sell forty thousand memberships to to the point where you don't need to sell tickets to to a game. It's just I just don't think our fan base is is big enough. So we really rely on the revenue generated from ticket sales. And if we're not even breaking even at, at a home game, then you know the money's going to dry up pretty quick, particularly given, you know, broadcast revenue is, is lower than it's historically been. Um, so just buy a ticket, please. The other thing I guess I want to touch on just on the, the, the commentary, the, the broadcast and, and all of that. I think, I think it's going to be, it, 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 the the way rugby's played at the moment, it is it is going to be hard to attract new fans to the sport. Just because, it, like you you know you 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 turn it on to the TV, and you're sort of watching it, and stuff happens, and and it is co- it is complicated, it is complex. It's a simple game that that has become complex, and there are some laws that aren't always clear, that aren't always, it, you know, it's not always easy. For you as a fan, you know, sitting with someone who's a non-fan, like, oh, what happened there? It's not always easy for you to decipher what. And I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, is there a way that we can utilize the broadcast team to educate? (laughs) And hear me out a little bit. John Madden was legendary for doing this with the NFL. So he would, yeah, like everyone wants to see the line break and everyone wants to see the try, for example. And 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 in the NFL, you know, everyone would want to see the touchdown. Everyone wants to see the guy running in space. But what he would do is take it back and explain to people how that running back got free or how that wide receiver got open or what the quarterback was, was looking at or why why that rules official made that call right and so if we if we take that concept and 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 I'll also say that it's it's no it's no um it's no coincidence that while he was commentating the NFL became really popular like it's it's well documented that that it was as a result of 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 that way of comment of commentating. And I'm not saying that everyone in the, in the commentary box has to be that way inclined, but I am saying that perhaps you do have someone in there who is really good at articulating, you know, certain aspects of the game to then, you know, simplify and, and make it easy for the casual fan to understand. I don't know. Am I, am I making sense there? You know, like, I think I think some of the commentators we use are pretty good. You know, I think Andrew Mertens is is someone uh, who who provides a lot of value and and often does provide some of that education and 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 I guess in game feedback. But you know, yeah, there there are there are some others in there who I think 
you know, are just in there. Um, you know, to, to me, Justin Harrison shouldn't be in there. You know, he he is the he's the president of of the Rugby Union Players Association. So you, you can't tell me that's not a conflict of interest for him. Um, you know, Morgan Turanui's got a decent rugby brain, but this is a guy who spent an entire year undermining Tony McGann down down in down at the Rebels when when Morgan was an assistant coach. Well, like like well documented, everyone knows that happened. Um, and so, you know, my my concern is that th- these guys in the commentary boxes, it's about them. It's about them and their profile. They're they're not really, in my view, they're not really great advocates for the game, and they're not providing any of the commentary to attract new fans to the game. Thoughts? <laughs> my producers, my producers giggling. <laughs> That's all I'll say on that. But I, you know. I, I, I fear for, for what our game looks like if we can't fix some of these issues. And, and the reality is rugby as a sport has disenfranchised its supporters and they don't but, – but then they're also trying to attract new fans. So they're not necessarily looking after – the diehards, because the diehards have all become disenfranchised, which is which is a problem, and and it's not necessarily the sports problem. It's 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 often the problem with with those fans. But then, you know, it's it, to me, it's not enough just to put rugby on free to air. Like we actually need to have a commentary team or a, or a, or a commentator who can break down the game in a really simple, easy to digest way to attract new fans. I'm getting told to move it along, so I, w- I won't. I won't. I, I just, yeah, I, and I'd be interested to to just hear from from some of you guys on what you think about that. And you know, it, it look, it's not gonna it's not gonna fix everything, but maybe it's a it's a step. You know, it's a it's a step in the right direction. The last thing I want to talk about before I get to my interview with Katie Johnston from 180 Degrees Marketing is the. <laughs> This is a, a slight uh, divergence for me from from my usual subject matter, but those of you who have listened to some of my work previously, have listened to the Blame It on the Bogey podcast, know that I am a, a terrible but avid golfer, and the PGA Tour has this program called the Player Impact Program. So it's basically um, at the end of every year they give pl- uh, players a bonus for the impact that they have across social media. So, you know, you know, in terms of engagement, in terms of the amount of followers they have, in terms of the amount they post, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that go into this, this metric. And then players are given a bonus based on where they rank um, from, you know, I think first is about $8 million. And then, you know, I think, I think it's 10 you know, ten people, and I think tenth is maybe four million dollars, some, some something like that. I'm I'm not I'm not going to sit here and and claim to be to be the expert on on that. But <laughs> what I do want to say is that in 2021, so last last year, PGA Tours just kicked off uh, for this year. Tiger Woods 
was the winner of the player impact program. And you might, you know, if you're a casual sort of fan of golf or you have a, a passing interest, you might go, well, Liam, that's not that weird. Like Tiger Woods is a, is a big star. What I want to say is that he didn't play. He played in one golf tournament last year, like had a car accident, nearly lost his leg. And, and, you know, take all the time you need Tiger. We need you back in the sport. We do. We need you back in the game because I think, I just think you're so compelling. You're an amazing athlete. You, you've now become a half-decent human being. But he he literally put up one video of him swinging a golf club and he played in a tournament with his son that didn't matter. And there's a stat that I'll, I'll tell you in a second uh, from that. And won the player impact program. So... Like, can you call Tiger a player at that at that point? You know, personality impact program, maybe, for sure. But so, but the, I guess the other really important thing, the one thing that's really interesting is I mentioned that he played in that tournament with his son. Nine point three million people watched that broadcast. Yeah, it's a lot of people. Nine million people watched the final round of the Masters. Now, the tournament that he played in is a nothing tournament. Masters is arguably one of the biggest golf tournaments in the world, most exclusive, you know, most talked about. And just by having Tiger Woods play in this nothing tournament, they drew a bigger TV audience. So... Keep getting them checks, Tiger. You earned your money. <laughs> All right, that's enough. That's enough. You've 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 listened to me long enough. In a second, I'm a I'm gonna hit this button. Katie's gonna come in, and we're gonna have a really really interesting chat about her business. Her business, she uh, 180 degrees marketing. She She's someone I worked with a long time ago, but right at the start of my of my professional career, if you want to call it that. Uh, we, you know, we've 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 kept in touch. You know, we we've helped each other on on an, on a number of things, a number of projects, a number of connections. Um, but one thing you'll realize in this in this discussion is is how innovative she is and and how little credit she's got for for inno- innovating in that space. But you know, always a quiet achiever. Highly successful, but you wouldn't know it. So, yeah, here it is. My conversation with Katie Johnston from 180 Degrees Marketing. All right, Katie Johnston, 180 Degrees Marketing, uh, thank you so much for for doing this. I know we've known each other for a long time, but this is something I've wanted to do with you for a while. But before we do that, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Liam. As I said before, I'm a little nervous. Yeah, yeah. Look, don't be. Don't be. I know that they look intimidating, the mics and the cameras and stuff, but you'll forget they're there. Trust me. Okay, good. It's very legitimate. I'm impressed. Are you getting married soon, right? Yes, in eight days. Eight days. Mm. How's that all going? Oh, it's going. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds terrible. I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's like... Yeah, I'm, I've never been married. I haven't um, thought too much about it. 
because Kat and I kind of skipped that step and just had a baby. So, <laughs> but I imagine it, it's a relatively stressful endeavor. There's just a lot to do, and I'm very organized. So, I was organized 12 months ago, and yep. then no one wanted to talk to me about anything up until two <laughs> weeks ago. And all of a sudden, it's my new full time job. So, <laughs> if you need any help in the future, come, you know where to find me. <laughs> Man, and um, is most of that coming from guests versus... Oh, honestly, what? guests are the worst yeah. because you literally spend so much time getting information correct and building a website and getting invites <laughs> out on time and you've got everyone. What time is it again? Where is it? What are we doing? <laughs> what? Do- oh, oh, okay. oh, no, I'm gluten-free. Don't forget. Yeah, so that's yeah. the worst. They, they sound like my athletes. Like my, Some of the athletes I work with, so you have like... So we have what's called an AMS, an athlete management system. And you put everything in there. So from, you know, training times all, all the way through to like, so we do these like wellness surveys that they're supposed to submit every morning. Then, you know, everything from training times, media ops, everything is in there. And then the day of, it's always like, hey, where, where are we meeting again? What? Oh, I didn't know about I didn't know about this. And it's not one conversation. You're having that yeah. same conversation <laughs> yeah. with 50 people. Yeah. <laughs> Which it, like, and it's just so hard. And it, it, I guess the, the biggest reason I wanted to have you on here was to really talk about, you know, when, when you first started 180 Degrees Marketing, and this happens a lot with people who innovate in, in a space, you ran what I would call a really lean agency. And I remember when we caught up and talked about it initially, I was like, man, she's so smart. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But like, like, so Katie ran an an agency and for, for outward facing, you know, you would assume, you know, big office, huge payroll, you know, all of the work was top quality, but really it was Katie and a bunch of freelancers. Sitting at home by ourselves. <laughs> I'm so glad the smoke and mirrors worked. That's unreal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I like, and so I guess the, the thing is, you know, everyone runs their agency this way now. But back in, what was it, 2016 when you started? Yeah. Yeah. No one was doing it. And, and even for me with, a, you know, a small media company, I was sitting there thinking, oh, I've got to have staff writers. I've got to have graphic designers. I've got to have video producers. I've got to have, you know, web developers all on the payroll. And then I had that conversation with you. And I was like, oh, they can just do it from anywhere. <laughs> we, we don't even need to see these people. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ever. Well, so I, we've got a podcast here, the Daily Dribble podcast. Shouts to the guys down in Tasmania. Never met them face to face, but, you know, have had tons of conversations with them via text and Zoom and, and whatever, but I've never met them in the flesh. Oh, that and that's it. Like I, I had the first time I met the one of the graphic designers I'm working with at the moment. She'd been working with me for twelve months, and I met her at our Christmas party <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> Which isn't, you know, strange in these times, but yeah, back then it's, you know, I'd get questioned all the time. Oh, do you have a degree? Was always a question. Yes, I do. I have a Bachelor of Public Relations. Thanks for asking. Um, tick that box. Yeah. Uh, do you have an office? Well. So we mostly hot desk out of our clients. You know, our clients are really hands-on, so we need to, you know, be present in their offices. So just having to think of excuses was really funny. And now, <laughs> this morning, I was sitting out having a having a meeting 
on my front veranda with my dog running around and the lady on the call was outside as well and we're both laughing about what a nice day it is and how good we get to do this. Like, yeah, you know, six years ago you, you couldn't do that. So Yeah, and as I said, like I'd never worked in an environment where you didn't have access or, or you couldn't walk down a hallway and talk to the graphic designer or grab the account manager and be like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, or, or, or whatever, you know? So yeah, I just remember thinking when you were talking to me about, it, I was like, this is, this is very innovative because you've effectively positioned yourself as the middleman. And there's a principle uh, that I learned really early on in, in my university degree, actually in the, at the university of Otago, I had this uh, lecturer, his name was Simon Chu and he, he used to be a hedge fund manager on Wall Street and he looked at me one day and was like, oh, Liam, you're from Australia, so you know a bit about the gold gold rush. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one of my history teachers mentioned, mentioned that it. to me <laughs> one time. <laughs> and, uh, and then he looks at me and he's like, so he looks at me and he's like, so who do you think got rich during the, during the gold rush? And I was like, the miners, <laughs> and he's like, "No, nah. because the guy selling the shovel—that's the guy who got rich." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay, okay." So, you know, identifying a need and providing that service, which in a, in our industry, media and marketing tr- has traditionally been done by newspapers, by huge agencies, you know, Gray's advertising, you know, all all of that, you know to a point where it was so old school. And then here comes Katie Johnson with her <laughs> with her marketing agency and it's just like, no, I can just do this myself. Well, the thing too, like, I mean, traditional agencies sort of set up, I think, as you said, is, I, I've been personally, without being rude, I think, is old school. I think mm. having big overheads that eat into your profit margins is not necessarily an effective way to work. Um, from two angles, so clients, you know, most of the time the clients don't really care where you are. As mm. long as you're there for them on the phone, on an email or in their office, um, you know, it, I didn't find it necessary to, to have that physical presence and drain the bank account in the process. Um, particularly when you're starting out, it's not the best thing to go and do is overcapitalise on those things that you don't need. But from a staff and team perspective, you know, they love it. I still have some of my team members, bless them, so politely ring me up. Katie, <laughs> I'm I'm going to be offline for half an hour tomorrow, you know, to get my booster shot. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I wouldn't have known. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you because yeah. they've got yeah. that level of accountability because you give, you know, structure leads to freedom. So mm. we obviously make sure that we have structure in our days to support that freedom. Mm. So when when people are able to sort of come and go, I, don't, I really don't believe in that you need to be seen to know that you're doing something, mm. um, you know, which goes back to how we treat our clients and the fact that we provide a service through technology that is results-based. So if we don't have results, transparency, flexibility mm. and structure with those relationships, well, we wouldn't have any clients. Yep. Um, so then having that same approach to our team internally, um, I just think has the right balance on both sides. Yeah, and I think you look at a big agency or a big big organisation, doesn't even have to be an agency, and you talked about, you know, being adaptable and being, um, you know, providing a level of freedom. It's really hard to, in a big agency or in a big environment, to turn the ship around. 
you know, it's like it's like being on a, a tanker. You know, it takes four hours to turn the ship around. And it's usually because if, if, if a client moves the goalpost or they change their mind about something, you don't have the flexibility with the agency, uh, with the creatives to then go and pivot really quickly. A hundred percent. And, you know, even just time lost, like mm. in days, like our projects don't blow out because we can turn them around so quickly, mm. you know, and not that they're, you know, necessarily big projects. It's a lot of small, smaller contracts that we have. Uh, but having the, the freedom to just sort of, you know, get things turned around really quickly. I don't waste half an hour in the coffee room. No <laughs> offence to Sue down the hallway who wants to have a chat about the yeah, weekend. Like, yeah. you know, I don't have to drive anywhere. I don't need to worry about parking. And the times I do go out to meetings and I obviously still go and see my clients, the ones that I know face-to-face, the rest of the clients, I wouldn't know them if I fell over them in the street <laughs> because we've literally never met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're all over the country. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so it's yeah, when you do go out, you you have that I I just feel really proud. I get to wear my nice shirt and my nice yeah, shoes yeah. and I only have to wear my heels for an hour and a half instead yeah. of 8 hours traipsing around <laughs> in the rain somewhere. So there's lots of little benefits. Well, I think too, and I don't know if I don't know if you thought about this when you first started, but when you work somewhere, when you're someone's employee and you're on a salary, there's a level there's a there's less accountability because whether you turn your work around or not that paycheck still still comes and yeah if you if you start underperforming you'll lose your job whatever but when you work exclusively with freelancers or you know who are effectively running their own businesses themselves they're accountable for their own time and they're and therefore accountable to you and as you say that allows that allows you to turn things around quickly but it's it's also providing a really high level of care and high level of attention to detail and, and all of that because if they don't deliver that, that job or if it's it's crap, they don't get paid. Absolutely. And that's another thing, you know, with team over the years, like we have, we run a very lean employed like team mm. on the payroll mm. and the rest are contractors. And it's always been that way, um, you know, me, on the payroll, that's me pretty much and two yeah. others, that's yeah. it. Yeah. And the rest are contractors. And as you said, I absolutely love working with contractors because for a few reasons, they're specialty in their field mm. and they know how to stay in their lane. They run a, run a really good job. Um, but the accountability piece is, is absolutely key because, yeah, often, um, you know, there, there might be deadlines, there might be, you know, whatever it is, whatever the pressure is coming from the client and a contractor has a very high, um, yeah, I suppose accountability, a sense of accountability that – and I'm not – Pardon my French, but I'm not shit canning employees either. <laughs> you know, there's that's that's not everyone. But I just think again, co- being a contractor, it goes back to the fact, you know, you've got the freedom you've yeah. got, and you've got your own structure, which which leads to your own freedom, that you know allows you to have a lifestyle. And I've I've since had had you know over the last twelve months, friends sort of reach out, and be like, oh, you know, like, do you guys have anything going at the moment? Like, can we can we work together? And I've pointed them all in the direction of, yes, you can. You can sell the same technology we do. Mm. Put up a brand name, slap yourself together a website mm. and get on the phone and start and dialing. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you've been down that route too where you took on a bunch of staff and a business partner, right? Yes, I did. And so I 100% did things backwards on their head, upside down, out the front door in the rain. Like yeah. it was... 
I just couldn't have done it more incorrectly because <laughs> I had that perception. Yeah. I had that perception. of I'd worked in agency before. I'd worked in big business before. Mm. And then going to do it yourself, you think, oh, I need all the stuff. Mm. Like It's like kind of like when you go, you, you buy a new house and you're like, I need to fill it with furniture. Yeah. Like I, this, it just won't work unless I've got everything in here. Yeah. In reality, you need a bed. You probably need some running water. Mm-hmm. You need some electricity and maybe something to eat. Mm. But you don't need all the bells and whistles straight away. And no. that was the mistake I made, bolting out of the gate, going right. Oh, I need this, this, this. I had too many employees. I had <laughs> no profit. Yeah. I was hot desking in my lovely business partner at the time's office, mm. um, which was great, but we weren't getting anywhere mm. and we, we were spinning our wheels for, for too long mm. um, until I had some pretty hard conversations with my accountant <laughs> who said, if you keep going down this road, you should go and get a real job because that will pan out better for you. <laughs> so that went down like a lead balloon um, and I... I just said that's just not an option. I can't. I can't. Yeah. I can't be managed. That's not a good thing. That that is. It's just how it is. Mm. So what do I need to do to make this work? So get yourself a good accountant if you're going down this road. Mm-hmm. This is my absolute first bit of advice. So we cleaned all that up, but it took me, you know, two years to to get out of the trouble I'd gotten myself into. Mm. As a result of having the perception that you need to be seen to be working, you need to be big, and you need to have all this big facade and mm. whatever. Um, and maybe that goes against, you know, it was it was smoke and mirrors. It was like this is what we need to show who we are and what we're doing yep. to impress people and yep. be competitive. Yeah, and I, like I don't think I I think COVID's forced everyone's hand in in that regard, but it just makes sense, right? Like if you if you produce good work and you can work from anywhere, why do you need to have an office in Sydney and an office in Brisbane and then another one in Singapore and one in Hong Kong and one in Los Angeles. Like, just have people who work there on the ground. They're like satellite offices. Yeah. It's like we have a presence yeah. in Melbourne or we have a presence in the Gold Coast. And I'm all for that. I think that, that that's amazing. And then that's how people can scale. But again, it is. It's the, That perception is there. I actually had a call with um, one of our suppliers um, in Canada last week and he was saying to me I said oh you in you're in the office like are you guys not working from home and he said no we have to have an office because the culture in Canada and across the states mm. is that big businesses and certain businesses won't deal with you unless they know you have a physical location <laughs> so they literally and he's yeah. like we're only here two days a week sometimes one sometimes we pop in for a meeting so it's spending all this money on rent just yeah. to have literally to, just have, to have the presence have an address yeah and somewhere to maybe i think they had a boardroom and whatever yeah. but probably some nice tea and coffee i don't know but the rest <laughs> maybe of the time, sue's there yeah maybe sue's there in the coffee room just wasting everyone's time all day long i don't know but yeah so i just thought wow that that sucks and then i i was going to make a comment about australians bless us all because yeah. i feel like we're pretty chilled and laid back anyway but yeah, fellas, I was not like that. The here we're fine. Yeah. I'm in the front yard tanning half the day, so <laughs> I'm okay with it. But I, and I think too, like our generation, millennials, for all the all the flack that we have copped and continue to cop, I think this is always what we've wanted: is a level of freedom. And rather than you know, job satisfaction is important, but it's not necessarily being tied to the work, but tied to the purpose. Absolutely. And and just being able to get up in the morning and go, 
oh, it's a nice day. I might go for a swim. Yeah. Or I want to walk the dog at lunchtime. I've had enough. I just need a reset. It's not It's not an issue. And I love working with other people that feel the same way. And as you said, I think this, this has been underlying for a very long mm. time and we've always wanted it. Mm. But COVID has literally, yeah, like brought it all to Everyone just had to pivot. We just had to do it. Yeah. So, no, absolutely. And I think it's – I was reading an article actually the other day and they were talking about – um, generation resignation. I mean, yeah. that's us, yeah, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Um, I'm also okay with that, though. Yeah. Uh, because people are quitting their jobs. They're going, why? I, if I can work from anywhere, well, why can't I go and do my own thing? Yeah. You know, why can't I make my own money and, you know, go on holidays whenever I want? Why can't I go and fly to Barcelona and live there for three months and work off my laptop? Well, you can. Yeah. <laughs> particularly, like, as you say, particularly if you're a creative, if you're a designer, you know, even, even a lot of content creation – video editing, that sort of thing, that can all be done remotely. Yes, you have to do the shoot on site, but if you're organised enough and you want to live in Barcelona, you can hire a local crew to do that. Absolutely. There was one point in our business actually where I had our designer, she was actually in Barcelona. (laughs) (laughs) That was a true story. (laughs) She was in Barcelona. I had our lovely content writer in the UK. I had another in Sydney, another team member in Sydney and the rest of us were in Canberra, but mm. the our content writer in the UK was dealing with one of our major long-term clients. She didn't me- she hadn't met them for 2 mm. years. They didn't weren't quite aware. They just thought they didn't Whatever. know where she was, yeah. like yeah. it didn't matter. Yeah. And then coincidentally when she moved back to Australia during COVID, she ended up renting an apartment in the exact same building that their head office was. So she went from there being yeah. on the opposite side of the yeah. globe to being one floor above them, yeah. which was strange. But, you know, that's an example. It, it really – it made no difference. The only thing is obviously a bit of a challenge with um, time zones, but you plan your days around it, you set expectations and manage your client expectations accordingly and it's usually fine. Yeah, well, as you say, you know, you provide structure to allow – for freedom. So if you have someone who's like, you know what, or, and this has actually happened to me, a writer that I work with, he is he he said to me, Liam, like deadlines in the afternoon don't work for me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, why? And he's like, well, I usually write between like three a.m. and six a.m. That's kind of my zone. I'm like, do you go to sleep before that? He's like, nah. <laughs> Just whatever you yeah. do, do not call me in the afternoon. Yeah, so he just kind of gets—I don't know—he gets locked in, you know, at the in the early hours of the morning. You sort of, I guess, for him towards the end of his day, and then goes to bed. So you know, I would wake up and I would have all of his submissions for the week or for two weeks ready to done go in, done in one hit. That's such a good point. That is another thing about this. So, particularly in creative marketing industries, this mm. is so true creativity you don't turn it on and off mm. you know you can't you don't you but you don't get up in the morning and turn on your on switch and go right i'm creative from nine till five today <laughs> yeah. and i'm going to do that five days a week until yeah. i die yeah you know it's i love the fact that the yeah, designers will be like i can't work on this right now and then you get an email at 1am and you're mm. like they were buzzing then that's yeah. awesome yeah. like that's when you get and you get better quality work they're happy you're happy clients happy like and you know it's not like that every time, but yeah. you know, <laughs> in an ideal world. But yes, that's another benefit. Yeah, but and I guess going back to the you know the, the traditional style of workplace, as you said, it's not something you can turn on and off. You're either creative or you're not, and it's okay to be either way. But 
I imagine for someone particularly, you know, and I consider designers artists. So for an artist to be told, okay, between nine and 10, you have to work on this. And between 10 and 11, you have to work on this. And and, and to have a day structured that way. I imagine that would be torture for them. I'm pretty sure that's why my designer went to Barcelona. (laughs) (laughs) Get me out of the four walls. Let me sit on a beach and sip a pina colada while I'm coming up with something. Well, that's it too. And the the traditional agency structure as well is billing. You know, most things are billed on an hourly rate. It's just how they have to do it. That's how they have to do it. That's final project base, however, you know, however it's billed. But yes, being able to at least, you can still do that. And, and a designer that has that freedom and flexibility is going to be accountable, a good one, will be accountable with their time yep. and be transparent in how long that job took them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because I've worked predominantly in sport in recent times, but, you know, I we started at, out in Canberra together and I saw how that ran in terms of we had, I guess we, we were attached to a marketing agency, the Mark Agency. So we, we had a, we had access to creatives all the time, but we also never had access to creatives because they were always doing billable work. And so that, that was really challenging. And then shifted across to work at a law firm where, where everything is billed in 15-minute increments. You make a phone call, you log that phone call, you hang up the phone and you unlog it. Like it's, it's like clockwork because, because everything works on, on billable time. And so the challenge... The challenge is if you have overhead, staff, rent, and and then you know you're going out and quoting work, it's really hard for you to turn a profit on that because you're maxed out. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Your dad gave me actually some of the best advice. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very actually two bits of advice. One of them was because I was asking him about business partnership and what do I do and what documents do we need, la la la, and he said. Do the divorce first. So go through exit strategies and figure all that out. Mm. La, 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 out of the way. And the second thing he said to me was, he said, so how are you planning to scale this, Katie? And I said, well, I'll just get lots of clients and make lots of money and then that's that's (laughs) That's what we do. That's the dream, right? That's the dream. dream. I'm going to kill myself in the process and burn (laughs) out, but that's what we're going to do. And he said, well, you just need to break it down. He goes, it's quite simple. He said, say there's there's 40 hours in your working week. Well, that's your 40 hours. You've only got one option there. You either duplicate yourself and that's when you start to grow your team or you start charging more on a billable hour. He goes, but you're only going to get to a certain point within your time realm, so off the back of what you just noted. Yeah. So then that triggered the thought of, all right, well, scalability, how do we do this? And then, you know, you watch tech companies blowing up. You go, how do I be a tech company? What's my idea? What am I going to invent? Yeah, (laughs) You know? And then... (laughs) Damn, why didn't I think of Afterpay? Yeah. (laughs) I heard they were from Canberra too. (laughs) Well, that's it. It's like, you know, what's that next idea? And then I suppose that's been the evolution of our business, stepping through that and working it out. How do we we scale? Mm. Um, But... Not, but reduce my d- hours, not increase them. And mm. I guess that's where technology comes into it and subscription models and, and whatnot to mm. have the recurring revenue so you're not constantly chasing that next project. But, you know, it, I'm still chasing. I've got two hours every day blocked out. Oh, not every day, Monday to Friday. Sometimes <laughs> Tuesday to Thursday, depending <laughs> on the week. Um, to Dedicated to my daily prospecting. So, yeah, yeah. And if, that, if I need to make that fun by going and sitting in the front yard, as I said, in the sun, making calls... Noting it in my well, HubSpot, then 
That's what I'll do. That definitely would have been frowned upon in the out of camera yeah. offices. I can tell you right now. Can you imagine me sitting out there just sucking myself for half a day? But it, it's interesting. Like my dad, he really battled because at his core, he is an entrepreneur. Like he's creative, and he, you know, even at even at his age, he's sixty five now, sixty six, turning sixty. Sorry. He just turned sixty-seven. He he still he's still at the forefront of technology. Like he reads tech articles. He understands startup culture and startups. But he just he did a law degree because that was just what you did, and so he always battled in that industry because it's so backwards. It's really you know everything is brick and mortar. You need to have offices. You need to have staff. There's a hierarchy. You've got partners, associates, senior associates, you know, graduate lawyers, all of that. And so he he spent a lot of time internally trying to reconcile that and tried to innovate in that industry, but he just he just couldn't because of the people he worked with predominantly. And and then in the end, he was spending so much time, I guess, cultivating and working with the junior lawyers to get them up to scratch because most of them had come through law school and never worked a day in their life, never worked in an office, never had a hospitality job, anything. So he spent so much time with these really intelligent people, basically trying to turn them into sales salespeople because at the end of the day, you want to have a relationship with your lawyer. You don't want it to feel transactional. You want to go in, you want to be able to talk to them in the same way that you do with an, an agency, in the same way you do when you go and you buy your groceries, you have a little chat with, with whoever's behind the counter. So in the end, it just it, it weighed him down because he had all of this pressure to bring in work and all of this pressure to develop the younger staff members. So he just, he ended up just quitting. Well, and that's it. Like, and I see this so, so I've noticed this as a trend too, and I, at no disrespect, but our, our parents' generation, mm. you know, my dad worked at the Commonwealth Bank for 30 years, mm. you know, and at the end... He was made redundant and yeah. see you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Career change into real estate and even now he looks back and goes, oh, I should have done this sooner. Like yeah. this is this is me. Like this is what I, I want to do. But it's funny, there's sort of this this generation in between us and our parents' age, which mm. is kind of my cousin's demographic, yeah. that kind of throws shit on us, being, oh, you guys <laughs> don't stick in a job for more than two years. That's terrible. <laughs> you know, I've been a nurse for 20 years, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, well... That's your choice and yeah. this is my choice and I don't want to spend – I don't want to spend 30 years doing the same thing ever mm. except for being married. I've got to do that. Yeah, you Yeah, you probably want to stick that one out. <laughs> I'll stick that one out. We'll find out <laughs> after next Saturday. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right and, and, you know, for back to my dad, 67 years old, he now works for Engineers Australia, which is a member-run member organisation. Uh, as their in-house counsel and, and company secretary, which he loves. He's so happy because he feels like he's providing a really valuable service to engineers around the world or Australian registered engineers around the world, but he doesn't have the stress of how am I going to make payroll this month? How, you know, how, how, how am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to pay my mortgage? All that because the, the, pay, the pay comes in. But having said that, that doesn't suit me. Yeah. Like the, the idea of, of that is, is hard for me, you know, doing that for, for a long time is hard for me to reconcile. Yeah. 
Absolutely. But it's also he's probably at, you know, that stage in, in his life and career where paying it forward is the mm. most important thing. One of our major clients that I alluded to previously, um, they're a pharmacy group yep. and their values are so far ahead of, you know, a lot of thinking, like I, which is why I deal with them so well. Mm. You know, they they have a real mentality of, you know, they they expand the group, they empower the young up and comers mm. to, you know, become managing partners and then have their teams and then, you know, a lot of the businesses are female led as well. So, you know, ladies get to a certain age, me, that <laughs> <laughs> they need to start having babies. Yeah. So, yeah. but then being in a company that allows that and gives them that freedom and mm. it makes them want to come back to work it make and the rest of the team step up in the meantime but yeah having the ability to you know having these long careers and they get to 65 and go oh i'm probably still too young to totally retire yeah i want to yeah. do something my dad retired for six weeks <laughs> <laughs> my and, then, and then he was like liam i don't even like golf <laughs> it's like well get a job man <laughs> Like me telling him to get a job. Yeah. <laughs> You're 65, work it out. <laughs> but is that something you spent some time on, you know, uh, values, company values, but also personal values and, and I guess how that translates into, into what you do? Absolutely. So I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time um, under the wings of Ben Folks at Ray White Canberra. Yeah, yeah. Ben yep. and his brother Sam Folks, yep. um, they invested – invested and still invest a significant amount of time and energy into their teams. They're another great example of mm. a modern forward-thinking workplace mm. that, you know, they're not greedy, they don't want to hang on to it all, they they empower their teams, mm. they bring directors in that are young and up and coming. Yeah. Um, part of the time that I had with them, um, which was extremely valuable, Values was the first – they had a business coach at the time. Um, values was one of the first things that they went through. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to end up – being a part of their leadership team. So with my marketing hat on yep. from that, you know, it's kind of vertical in the yep. business. Yeah, yep. And I, in the beginning I was like, why are they spending so much time on value? Like, who cares? Like, <laughs> you know, success. What? Yeah, well, we all want that. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, like what, what, <laughs> what is, does it mean? What does it mean? Yeah. Like, why are we doing yeah. this? Anyway, as years went on and time went on, every every decision in the business came back to the values mm. so okay we need to make a business decision around this what what does this tick our values mm. and if it doesn't we don't do it mm. and then getting empowering your team to believe and be encouraged and motivated by the values it just gets everybody on the same page it's like a friendship you yeah. know like if you've yeah. got conflicting values in a friendship you're probably not going to be mates you know if i highly no. value being nice and you're horrible well <laughs> Probably going to be the end of that. So, you know, and, it, and it's the same in business. So then I applied a lot of what I learned through the business coach and through Ray White to my own business yep. to, you know, and then and put that onto my team and say, you know, well, what are our values? Like, what mm. do we want to do? And it comes down to writing a mission statement, writing your vision, mm. you know, having a having a, a one-liner on, you know, the who, what, where, why, when, um, you know, type things. So, yeah, values is absolutely pertinent. In, in any business relationship, I think. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, you mentioned the decision-making. Whenever you have a difficult decision to make, if you have a really long, established, strong set of values, it makes making that decision clear. Absolutely. Because you can go, well, these are the three or four things that we value and this this event or this thing that we're about to embark on actually doesn't meet two of them. So let's push that to the side. Let's invest our time and energy somewhere else. 
And if it does, it's obviously great. It's a, a tick box. But I think it is something that a lot of businesses and, and a lot of workplaces, organisations, sports teams, they do as a tokenistic thing or they don't do it at all. Because I think the hardest part, you know, once you have your values and they can be words or they can be, you know, part of your mission statement is the hardest part then is holding yourself and your staff or the people you work with or the businesses you work with to that to that set of values. Absolutely. And we, we went as far as putting our values on our on any contractual arrangement. So whether yep. that was an employee agreement or whether that was a um, contractor relationship, I would have on there, these are our values. You know, yeah. read this, sign this. Did you read everything? Did you have any questions? <laughs> because then you're, you're setting the path clear at the very beginning yep. going and then if, if something happens, you've always got that to as a very basic baseline to fall back on. So mm. one of our values is accountability. Mm. So and the, and the team know that because – and all of our inward-facing values are the exact same values that we have for our, our clients. For your clients, yeah. That's right. And, yeah. and it goes back to that – structure freedom you know mm. like we work internally how we work with our clients mm. so we we walk the walk i think mm. i hope <laughs> i don't know i'm not my client i have to ask them no i don't i'm sure do i'm sure they're pretty happy um but you know and I, and I often i often reflect back on you know where my corporate career started and that was without in canberra they're getting lots of shouts today and we got to work with some really amazing people, but often just because of the hierarchy, it was really hard to get things done and get things done quickly because we were constantly waiting for approvals. And I feel, I, I, and I don't think that was intentional. I just think that was, Not at all, no. that was just the way that, that it was structured. But can you remember us ever having a value statement or anything like that? No. Yeah. I, d- I didn't even really know if I should have personal values <laughs> until I started training with Ray White. And I was like, oh, yeah. I should probably do this for myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so and, and I felt at times it was hard to – it was hard to take the lead on anything and it was hard to grow because, because of that we were constantly – Just hamstrung. And yeah. I think too like, you know, and that at the time was a new and evolving business – Far yeah. ahead of its time totally. at the time. Like yeah. I look back on that and think that you know. Well, I mean, they were selling the va- the the value of the internet. Hundred <laughs> percent. We were at a point where we go to meeting. Oh, there a website. Yeah. Do you need one of that? Yeah, What's what do that? You need that for twenty yeah. grand for a website? <laughs> <laughs> Pay up. <laughs> That's just the start. That's the start. That's not even the ongoing fees <laughs> that we're signing you up for. <laughs> then we got to host it. Yeah. Host yeah. it. That? You want email? Yeah, well, you, you need well, you need that. <laughs> a logo? Oh, forget it. Don't bother. Just go and get a real job. <laughs> but you know, you're right. Like it was, it was a really, and and I think it was hard at that at that time. And you know, we're not talking that long ago. We're talking like ten years ago. Yeah, 2011, 2012, somewhere there. We were still trying to sell people on the idea that you know it's not enough to just put something in the yellow pages or the white pages. Like you you need, you know, even social media. So that was really at its infancy. Instagram had just just come onto the scene. And I remember us having conversations about how we could use it as a as a business tool. And now like I don't I don't for this business, I don't use Facebook at all. Yeah. You know, it it, it is there, it exists and we, we post links and stuff on it. But Instagram is is the key. And it's gone full circle. Like, yeah. you know, and I'm often having conversations with clients about you know, having a 
a variety in your digital marketing mix. You know, have a bit of this, have a bit of that. Mm. If you've got the budget, do all of it. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing to me too in the evolution of the internet and traditional, a lot of businesses are still very, very heavy in the traditional media marketing mm. advertising space, which there is absolutely a spot for. Mm. But what I'm trying to work on at the moment is bringing that and mm. our technology together. Yep. So it's like the amount of times I've seen a bus ad go past and then I've gone – Hey Siri, when's Oktoberfest? Yeah. And then whatever was on the bus, it was maybe the German, I don't know who it was, like wh- wherever yeah. that event was. And you cannot find it in Google or you're, you're typing it and you can't. Yeah. Or not that I type and drive, but you know, it's some. <laughs> I hope there's no police listening. <laughs> yeah, hopefully there's no police <laughs> listening. Um, you know, and then it, it not being there. And it's kind yeah. of like, but you're spending all this money over here and you're not touching on it over here. Mm. Like you. I don't know, but the it, it's interesting watching the the evolution of well, it. Well, and I know that that's that's an area you're really pushing at the moment is is the voice optimization. Yep. So we we all know about SEO, search engine optimization, but a big part of that now is voice. Because I I imagine tons of people listening to this, up they'll be listening to it on their phone because I know that from the the analytics that I get. <laughs> but I imagine tons of people who are listening to this aren't typing things into Google anymore or their Safari search engine, they're Hey Siri or whatever the Android one is. <laughs> Cortana. <laughs> Sorry, Cortana. <laughs> I think that's right. I don't know. Yeah. I should know that. Uh, well, that's it. I was I was with the – yeah, we – we uh, it's such a evolving space too. Mm. You know, voice search is a, it's a change in behaviour. It's a change in the way the world searches. Mm. Uh, but I was with the it's the best because it's it's kind of the easiest pitch you could do because yeah. you sit in someone's business. I sat in a re- I literally sat in a <laughs> pub the other day with the owners and the marketing guy. Yeah, and they were like, "Sorry, it's going over my head. What is it?" I'm like, "So when people are talking to their devices yep. and typing in their devices." We're going to make you come up and yep. you're going to come up in the top four, yep. you know, on Google, whatever. La, 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 pitch, pitch, pitch. Anyway, I don't think they were listening to my presentation at all. I had my laptop here. I was scrolling <laughs> through my, my cool slides that I think are hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And then they go, hang on, let's just try this. So they picked up their device, started talking, you know, best pub in Canberra, whatever. Yep. About three or four of their competitors came up and they were like, what, what, what? And I was like, just sitting there and say a word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you should just walk in there and do that every time. Just <laughs> Well, the problem is Siri is so unreliable and yeah, it's because okay. the world is not optimised, that's yeah. what she can't find what she's looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. our job is to go and get businesses and yep. bring them up so everyone has a better experience. Uh, but, you know, you're sitting in the business, you expect that Siri has put two and two together and gone, oh, I'm here geographically yeah. and you've said a keyword so that we should appear. But even sitting in the venue and they weren't coming up. So... Anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, but <laughs> voice search. Yeah, but it, but it's it's an important next next step. Yes, yes. In, in and you know AI is becoming another 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 thing. We we actually use AI sometimes with some of the writing that we do, and people have said, "Oh, that's cheating, Liam." Like, well, it's not really because we use it to fact check. So someone will write an article, and. And they'll read it and I'll be like, is that actually, like, did that really, like, is that real? Like, that thing you're referencing, is that real? And often, because of what we do, some of what we write about is obscure. So it is hard to find links or, or, or credible links. 
So we use AI to it, – it writes, but then it, fa- it fact-checks for us. So it makes sure that those things that we're referencing with our, with our articles are actually accurate because it can, it can index the internet in a – So it's in, a technology. Or, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, in a, much, in a much quicker way than if I, you know, paid someone in India to go, I need you to, I need you to research this specific thing that I'm referencing – this this bit of AI can just can just index the internet for us effectively. And the thing too, like because it's all so access- accessible to us, and we are all, you know, wanting to be freelancers, and we want to go all over the world, mm. and we do all these things, and we've got the ability to post content, mm. making sure that it's correct is another part of that. So well, that's unreal. And that, I guess the the challenge in a uh, a media business, and where where I'm encouraging encouraging our writers and our podcasters to I don't want to filter them because we're, we're not attached to anyone right like at the end of the day if someone's going to get sued it's going to be me yeah. <laughs> so accountability yeah so so but it is an important lesson because for most of the people that we work with they're up their younger younger content um, producers so it is an important lesson for them to learn okay like I watched a TV show and they said this, and I'm going to reference that. But then being actually being able to go and find what that is and and whether it's correct, um, I think that's a that's a key skill. But AI has allowed us to do that in a much more efficient way. I probably need that on my just day to day emails. <laughs> <laughs> Write this email for me. He he with, can do that with this tone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make it clear. Yeah, I've only got Grammarly. Oh, I shouldn't say only. Grammarly is a life changer. Yeah. I didn't realise how poorly my spelling abilities were. <laughs> there, there and there. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, I was going to say where, where, where and where. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. There we go. Case yeah. in point. Yeah. But, you know, and it, it, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting area too, you know, writing. Writing is becoming a lost art form in a way, particularly long form you know, long form articles, most of the stuff that, that you see now is 500 words and it's like this happened, this happened, this happened and this happened. And there's a couple of links to, to other things. But, and, and I always think about this. When I went to university, never hand wrote anything, ever. Everything was typing away on my laptop. Then I'd go and sit an exam and I'd have to write for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I wrote so much that I have like I've got there's got I've got to have RSI so I can't all I can't I can't do a downward punch anymore. <laughs> I'm thirty. That's terrible. I was writing. No, I was probably the typing. Yeah, the well, issue. It's like this, but but I guess the the point is too. Now schools universities are, are are a bit further behind, but schools have now shifted to laptops. So if you're coming through school now, you don't really need to learn that much grammar to get by and that much spelling to get by because you've got spell check. Exactly. And, and you know, a, a tool like Grammarly is, is phenomenal because if, you, if you're willing to pay for the, the fancy version, you know, it'll rearrange sentences. Does it'll, it? Yeah, yeah, it'll... You I've know. never done... I'm on the free one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too stingy. I'm so, keeping my, le- my lean team. So we talk... In writing, we talk about you know, passive voice, so misuse of passive voice, um, which it's basically, you know, whatever you're trying to talk about, you, you want that to be the 
the active the active part of the sentence. So a lot of people write in passive voice because people tend to speak in passive voice. So a lot of people write the way that they speak. So things like that, where it, it can really structure your it can structure your writing in a way that, um, yeah, that makes it one. It makes it easier to read. Two, it makes it grammatically correct. Um, and I think I assume if you're going to use it for emails and things like that, it'll save you a ton of time. I've put it as part of our, um, like, our induction. Yeah. Like, do you yeah. have these Chrome extensions? <laughs> no? Go get them. Yeah, do it. <laughs> do it. But, but, but I think that, you know, that's, that's the world we live in. You know, we're, you know, we're here talking about your agency and the way you've structured in that you provide freedom and you don't have a physical office and, you know, you're working with freelancers and, and a bunch of contractors who effectively work for themselves as well you know the the way of the world is going to be now efficiency so how can we how can we do things even more efficiently so grammarly is a good example i assume that saves people hundreds of millions of hours across the world in 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 proofreading well absolutely and half of our pitch with our technology is that you know we're comp- in what we do we're competing against traditional seo solutions yep. in a basic form yep so my pitch is well you can go and spend thousands of dollars a month to a person or an agency sitting behind a computer constantly it's like like day trading like you know they're in there like buying adwords and figuring out keywords and doing research and all that that's expensive because it's people power yeah you know the shift to using technology Mm. to do the heavy lifting Mm. for you and your business so that you can move on and go and do something else you Mm. know let this let tech work around the clock for you so you don't have to Mm. is the whole shift in the way people are thinking and Mm. not everyone and i am very specifically talking about media marketing industries. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think that industry has to be – it has to be um, – it has to be able to, to shift. It mm. has to be able to ad- adapt new technologies to what they're doing, you know, AI. You know, it, like even social media, when I first got into the industry, people were like, look at me sideways, like, why, why do I need that? Now that is – for most businesses at the core of everything that they do. Absolutely. It's just the baseline. It's like, oh, well – you know, it's rare that someone would say, "Oh, I don't have a Facebook," page, or "I don't." Yeah. You know, like it's yeah. just a, it's just a must-have, or mm. you know, yeah, it's interesting the evolution of it. But yeah, you're right. Like being able to find efficiencies and clients expect it as mm. well. You know, if why is this taking so long? We live in a modern world. Yeah, are you putting the washing on? Yeah. Get back to your laptop and get this done. <laughs> yes, I was putting the washing. Stop on. turning. <laughs> I'll never stop doing. But it, but yeah, but you know that, that that's that's part of our culture. You know our our millennial Instagram generation culture is we want everything now because we've had access to it. And I assume the next gen, like my son, like I fear I fear for what he's going to be like because you know like he'll it, probably be. have AI friends. I don't know. Like. <laughs> So I, like I, I don't know what's coming, but he's seven months old, and he's really been born like right where, where social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok now is mainstream. It's very you know everyone has it, everyone uses it. It's kind of at this tipping point. So then you know now you've got Mark Zuckerberg talking about this metaverse. I was just about. Do you know what went through my head then? Yeah, this is really random. Yeah. I, was, I thought invisible cars. I thought that, that's what we'll have. We'll have invisible yeah, cars. Yeah. But, oh, that would cause a lot of accidents. But then I thought, te- like, even Tesla. Like, yeah. you. if anyone wants a hilarious read, read Elon Musk's 
novel. It's about him. And it, oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Read that. Hilarious. Okay. Put that on the reading list. Put that people. on the reading list. Yeah. Uh, Tesla's, I'm just seeing, te- like the more, particularly yeah. in the inner south of Canberra, I was driving through yeah, Kingston yeah, the other yeah. day. And I was like, oh, there's Tesla, there's yeah. Tesla. And I thought, oh, they've got crypto. They've got crypto. Yeah, got true. Crypto. I was like, I've got crypto. Why yeah. don't I have a Tesla? <laughs> <laughs> but so that, you know, that is that is a fascinating area to get into and I can go in a whole like we could talk for another That's hour that's another on that. podcast but <laughs> but the idea that we don't we no longer need banks to keep track of our transactions I think crypto is the most hilarious parallel to like our generation yeah, or yeah, yeah. being like Mm, I do not want to be like my parents. Yeah. Like, fuck banks, fuck money. <laughs> We're going to make crypto. our own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 100%. And I'm going to do it in Barcelona. Yeah. So that's yeah. That. yeah. And anonymously. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can, like, you know, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine the other day who's, he's a, he's a day trader stock, traditional stocks. Um, and, and, to be fair to him, he's made me some money over the years. Um, no, no insider. Don't, 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 I don't want the ASIC coming knocking at my door. No insider trading stuff. He just would say, hey, have a look at a couple of these businesses. and, and Don't tell it. anyone I told you that. And ha- Yeah, and, ha- <laughs> and have a think about it. So ASIC, if you're listening, I'm not telling you shit. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm moving all my money to crypto anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm moving to the Bahamas. Yeah. But... So we were we had we were having a discussion about NFTs and a- NFT non fungible token is a it's an economics term that's been around for a long time and it effectively just means something that can't be replicated. So, you know, this pen over here, if you buy that from me, no one can replicate this exact pen. Technically, this is an NFT, but it's been coined as a phrase for digital digital assets, which most are now being built on on crypto you know ethereum seems to be the most popular popular one so i was having an argument with him the <laughs> the other day about because he's like that's nah, stupid like why, why would i want something i can't hold i'm like bro you you have a, this huge portfolio of businesses that you can't that hold. you can't hold you've never even you've never stepped foot inside a starbucks bro <laughs> I, that that triggered a thought actually i've got a broker friend in yeah. sydney and we were at a bar and uh, having a chat about he's actually brokered the deal for some of the tech that we sell yeah and he just he hates the ceo hates him. <laughs> he's like I, I can't stand him he's such a bastard blah, yeah. blah, blah. i was like he's like it's gonna fall over i was like do you know what the technology does and he's like no <laughs> I was like, so you've broke, you've broke, like how much does that happen? That would yeah, happen. That yeah, would happen. And yeah. like, that was my, I thought, if you're going to invest in something, just know about it. Yeah. Just find its place in the world and think, oh, that might be useful to someone. Yeah. That might be worth something one day. And so, so we were having this argument and he said, you know, I, I can't bring myself to invest in something just because it's popular. Mm. I looked at him and I was like, 10 of the last... 15 stocks that you've told me to invest in you told me to invest in them because lots of other people are <laughs> is that not the same thing and to his credit he was like yeah well i guess that is. <laughs> i guess that is a widely used investment strategy where you invest in things you think other people are going to be uh, uh, that other people are going to think are are a good investment and then you pull your money out it's so, a herd mentality so 
Take that, friend. <laughs> take that. I hope you got your money, but take it out and put it in crypto. <laughs> I, I reckon. Buy yourself a Tesla. Yeah, get it. Get a Tesla. I like, and you know, the, but I guess back to my point, like metaverse. So is my son's life? <laughs> is is every interaction that he has and 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 every everything that he does is that going to be on the internet somehow? Do you know that it's so interesting? So I think like that too. I think my children are doomed for a number of reasons. You know, because they'll be mine. Um, <laughs> but you know, like it's funny those thoughts when you're thinking futuristically. Yeah. You think anything is possible. But yeah. 30 years ago, I'm sure our parents thought that we'd be all grooving around on hovercrafts. Yeah, yeah. And teleporting to Mexico. Like, mm. but the, you know, the world is like. Whilst there are digitally things that are, mm. are moving quite quickly. The fundamentals, like you walk into a school, you know, and yes, they've got iPads and things like that, but the front office lady is probably 70 years old, mm. writing on her pen and paper, doddering around, like, bless her. But, you know, there's still so much of the world that is still, you know, slow and traditional and, yeah. and a little bit behind. So, yep. and I think that that is the, the anchor to, yep. to the forward moving technology. But crypto, as an example, has having this conversation with my PT this morning. He said um, we were talking about it, and I just said it's just too big to ignore. And yeah, it's not. I don't think it's it's going to go anywhere. I don't think it will go away. Yeah, and where I it goes is yeah. unknown. And I think the the biggest challenge with it at the moment is the number of transactions it can handle all at once. So uh, Ethereum Again, efficiency. Yeah, so Ethereum is the best, I believe, and the crypto guys don't. Crypto bros, don't come at me because <laughs> you and your NFTs. Yeah, <laughs> I dabble, but I, yeah, but and so sometimes with Ethereum transactions, they take a little while, and you know people blow up about it. I'm like, it wasn't that long ago <laughs> that if I sent you money, you wouldn't get it for five days, <laughs> even on the app. We we didn't even have an app well, that, that long yeah, ago either. Yeah, you had to log onto the website and remember yeah, your client your, ID your, and your password. Yeah, so. Like and so, if if traditional banking methods of 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 keeping track of transactions can can go from you know you got to wait five to seven days for that to appear in your account to instant in in a matter of less than ten years, I don't see why the same principles and the same jump can be made in in crypto purely because of all the people that want to work on it. And I think that it's too it's it is simply the evolution of money and you know we started trading you know many many years ago before my time although I feel like I have been here before like Mm. on planet earth so maybe I was part of a different (laughs) century not sure um you know we traded in fruit and veggies or you know stock you know I'll give you two sheep for one cow like and then you know silk silk that's it materials gold yeah you know still around um, you know, then paper <laughs> yeah. money and coins and all the different currencies and then the FPOS machine and the credit card and Virgin money. How How is that a thing? We could have a credit card attached to an airline. Yeah, well, you... That's after, decentralised. After, after, after <laughs> pay a given, a given people credit cards now on your phone. Oh, yeah. So oh, you can go in store yes. with your afterpay card and you pay nothing up front or you pay, you know, whatever it is, but then you pay it off over four instalments. Well, that's it. I, I did try to set that up actually and I got too scared. I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm dangerous, doing. I'm just going to stick to the regular afterpay because I like I enjoy the process of yeah, it. I like yeah. having the options. I like yeah. sometimes I buy certain things with zip pay and yep. I buy certain things with a credit card or I buy certain things with after and I buy certain most things 
95% of my things with cash or <laughs> actual money. Yeah. You know, not crypto. Not crypto. Well, <laughs> having said that. Yeah. So I've got one crypto. It's actually a crypto born out of the barter card network, which okay, is a very yeah. interesting yeah. situation. It's an interesting business. Yeah. Yes. So I've got, I'm quite crypto rich actually on yep. that particular thing. The problem is you're not rich if you can't do anything. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I can. I found a I found a wholesaler and I can buy alcohol. So perfect. I yeah. I he's got himself a pretty good customer. Except <laughs> now he started charging me some cash as well, so I have to do both. But I just, I can't get rid of the crypto. It reminds me of the guy who bought a pizza with like seventeen bitcoins <laughs> <laughs> when it first came out. He was like, "This is awesome," and then he's like, "Man, that would be worth millions of dollars." <laughs> millions and millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> what have I done? I I spoke to a guy recently. So I'm starting a new job and for for purposes I can't actually talk about who the company is but I met a person through that network and he told me that a client of his didn't have any cash but gave him 60 Bitcoin. And this was 15 years ago. So 2015 years, 14, 2008 or 2009. Gave him? Yeah. So he, in, in, and, the, and it was worth, I think it was worth... $300 a, a coin. So it was roughly the equivalent of, of what the job is. He said, I still, I still, I still have half of those. I sold half of them recently. Oh my God. This is a dude who's still working. That's wild. Yeah. This is something that, that is another thing. And it's maybe tied to, to both like business and money mm. and crypto and like other things. So I many, well, actually I was 22 and I had a, I, I made a list of things to do before I was 30. Yep. And those things were all sorts of stuff, like, you know, things that ha still haven't happened yet and, or, you know, I'm 30 now. <laughs> I've got mm, for three months. Anyway, <laughs> doesn't matter. But, you know, like putting things on a list and going, oh, I want to do this and do yeah. that. And then that list sort of evolved into, oh, that's too long. Like I need to know what I'm doing in the next 12 months and yep. set myself these audacious goals that were pretty unachievable in a short period of time. But it's like, it's that thing, it, it's a mentality around time. Like, you know, mm. 10 years ago it was nothing, but if he had that in a 10, and not that anyone knew about where crypto was going to go, maybe mm. at that point, um, you know, had a held on to that where he'd be now type thing and not that he's lost, but whatever. But, you know, the underestimating, overestimating what you can do in 12 months and underestimating yeah. what you can achieve in 10 years. Yeah. And when I, I don't remember where I heard that, Maybe at a Ray White leadership meeting. Yeah. Probably, yeah. probably actually. Yeah. I should quote whoever said yeah. that because it's life-changing, like thinking about things differently in that regard as well. It's like, yes, as a generation we're like young, we're in a rush to kind of get everywhere and we want things instantly and we want things quick and we want everything yesterday and, you know, whatever that mentality. But also being maybe taking a leaf out of our parents' book and being mm. like, taking a little longer to get to where you're going. Mm. 10 years is still a short time in the grand scheme of things. Um, Try telling that to a 20-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were 10. Yeah. They were in yeah. primary yeah. school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 so some of the best advice I ever got, and I'll, I'll ask you before you go uh, the same, but some of the best advice I ever got was if you want to do something and you want to do it well, write down what it is. And then all of the things that you need to do to get to get there. And as you're going, add add things because you'll you'll inevitably have things come up uh, as you as you're going. And then every day, tick something off that that list. And it and it 
it's still something I do today, and 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 now I have these lists that are most of them aren't actually written down, but they are you know th- things that I want to do in I want to have achieved in twelve months, and they're they're all in my view achievable if I tick off these ten things. So some of the best advice I ever got, and if I could send a letter back to eighteen year old Liam, it would say slow down because you just you you're gonna kill yourself going so quick and just come up with a plan so write down the things that you want to achieve and then break them down into actionable achievable things and just everyday work at checking one of those things off because that will make your life a lot easier absolutely I think Oh, actually, no, wait, ask me the question first. <laughs> no, so I was going to say, so, you know, before, I guess before we go, what is, you know, you've had, you've had, you know, success in a, in a relatively short period of time, seven years. So what, what is some of the best advice you've been given? And then what is the biggest lesson that you've learned that you would, you would, in, you would pass on to someone who was, yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be a, a marketing agency, but someone who was about to endeavor and start going out on their own, stepping away from you know a, a secure life of a of a weekly paycheck into this world where you know you 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 got to hustle, you got to chase clients and and hold people accountable, hold yourself accountable. So the best advice that I think I've been given is definitely around goal setting and Mm. and having structure in your week similar to what you said so you know a lot of people don't know you can't achieve a goal if you don't know what it is Mm. and I still struggle with that you know Mm. I still try and write things down and go what is my goal what is it a dollar figure is it a level of free financial freedom is it a level of personal freedom like what is that and sometimes it is a few goals so you know that being the step Katie that is your step one and then mm. work backwards from there, like you said. Yeah. Build structure into your days because that – because then – and the amount of times I did it to my business coach. So Sam Folks ended up being my business coach yep. last year and he's now gone out and he's a full-on fiery. So <laughs> now Good I'm totally lost again. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and I would say to him, he's, he helped me put all the structure in my yeah. days and – you know, we had a spreadsheet and we've got all that and I'm using systems and processes that, that he's given me ongoing. Mm. But there were times where I'd go, oh, look, I, t- I think I'm going to take the, the two-hour prospecting session out of my days. I don't think I – I think I'll just do it. Like yeah. I'll just know I have to do it. And he's like, have you not listened to anything I've said? He goes, <laughs> you've got it every day and you can hang up and you might go out for the afternoon for three hours. You might go on a walk. Yeah. You might go to the gym. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You might go do something else. And the freedom that you get from that going yeah. – I've done what I was supposed to do today and it didn't take me all day flailing around, mm. making a call here, making a call there, trying to catch up on some admin on the way through. So, yeah, the goal setting and the structure leading the freedom. Yep. To answer your question about advice that I would give maybe to my 18-year-old self yeah. or, well, I was 24 when I started the business. So, yep. you know, whether, yeah, what what that piece of advice would be is, and I, I don't know if I should say this or not because I'm not a parent, yep. but it, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it takes a village to raise a business, yep. you know, and the biggest lessons that I learned were based around having the wrong people in the wrong seats around yeah. me. Yep. And part, most of that I created myself. Yep. Like I, I had a choice to engage with who I engaged with at the time and having, and if Ben folks ever listens to this, I'll be so happy. Um, <laughs> but ben, I'll send it to him. Send it to him. Yeah. We'll put it on LinkedIn <laughs> and tag him. Um, you know, he's, he's passionate about having the right people on the bus. So yep. for me, I just had 
and and no disrespect to the people because it was just not the right fit but making sure that you've got that village around you and everyone is in their own lane and then you're leaning on people for their specialty item and making sure that they are actually good at what they say they are yep. not just oh well you know help you out with that and whatever no professionals in the right seats and you don't need to be spending a lot of money on that yeah you know pete break it off yeah and we'll finish on on this because i know you're busy i know you've got to get going but i've got tanning to do it's like <laughs> 33 degrees outside today <laughs> one of one of the things i've noticed so far in my talk talking to people who've had success and and a, a, on an upward trajectory is something that you just mentioned about having the right people on the bus one of the things I've noticed about successful people is that they understand what their strengths are, they understand what their weaknesses are, and they surround themselves with people who can offset some of those weaknesses and 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 allow you as as someone who's in charge of staff or working with people to to learn from them while they learn from you and and impact but at the same time empowering them to grow into to the best version of of, of themselves. And Ultimately, the people who have success, they, they, they allow those people to connect dots for them. And, and then instead of taking credit for all that success, you know, of a business's success, they're really happy to say, oh, well, no, like, you know, I just put the team together. These, these are the people that, that actually delivered the work. And that's one thing I've noticed about successful athletes is they try and figure out how their strengths fit within within a team and how they can contribute to the team i've i've found it with media members already i've found it just with with what you're saying so the the most and and in, in coaching for me in particular i got given a a head coaching job as a 28 year old some of the players i was coaching were older than me so i decided that and I knew what the gaps in my knowledge were, so I put two individuals around me who probably one of them in particular is a better coach than I am. But So I, I put those guys around me because they lifted me up. They made me look really good because I just allowed them to do their thing and, and I focused on the stuff that I was, I was good at. Now, that, didn't, that doesn't mean that I, I, I didn't have to challenge myself and do some things that I, that I wasn't uncomfortable were uncomfortable with particularly the ringing up players and saying oh you you haven't been selected this week or you've been cut that was that that's really draining for me um but so far the common thread that i've found with people who have success is they are they are happy to admit they have strengths and weaknesses and they want to work on them they want to learn and they want to employ and work with people who challenge them to be better Absolutely. Being vulnerable, being honest with yourself and not trying to be everything to everyone, you know, yeah. and admitting admit it's actually amazing when you tell someone that you can't do something, they're like, Oh, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> I'm like, Oh. So I didn't have to pretend that I knew how to do that. Oh yeah. cool, 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 cool. They'll find someone else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a really that's how you that's how you grow, being able to look at yourself in the mirror and understanding one what your strengths and weaknesses are, but taking responsibility for whatever the reason is you're looking at yourself in the mirror. You found yourself in a situation, whether it be good or bad, and accepting your role and your responsibility within that situation 
you know, it might be as part of a team or it might be might be with yourself. One thing I've noticed with with people who who don't have success is that everything is everyone else's fault. <laughs> I hate that. The blame game. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I see it coming from a mile away. The blame game, people who blame and people who assumptive close. I really ex- I really get excited about that. Ben mm. tried to assumptive close me on it something earlier <laughs> on, in the car on the way here. Like I, that was an assumptive close. Yeah. I, that was I know what you're doing, <laughs> but the blame game. Oh, absolutely. When yeah, it, yeah you, you you're only responsible for yourself. So yeah, and ultimately, if you if you really really want to be better, you just have to admit that you don't know everything, and you have to try and forge relationships with people who are willing to invest time in your development, and hopefully, they learn something from you in the process too. And it's amazing once you start to open those conversations and and have those conversations. You know, people are interested. People generally want people in business, and I think in our industry, generally want to collaborate and and help. Mm. Um, you know that paying it forward mentality that we spoke about. You mm. know that, yeah, yeah. And on that, I think we'll we'll finish up there, Katie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming into the covered studios. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's really cool up here. If anyone gets invited to a podcast, I highly recommend it. Yeah. It's all legit. Yeah, well, we, you know, we try and get people in the studio where we can, but, you know, with COVID, we had to shift to to a new platform, uh, Riverside, which provides us with high-quality uh, audio and video solutions remotely. Did you just plug a business? I did. Nice. Yeah. That's what podcasts are for, So right? if you if you want to start your podcast... <laughs> And you want to sign up to Riverside, head, up, head to riverside.com and enter the code the cover AU to get 10% off your purchase. I'm going to do that. Boom. <laughs> Thanks again, Katie. Thanks, Liam. Well, there you have it. That was my conversation with Katie Johnston from 180 Degrees Marketing. I hope you hope you guys enjoyed it, took took some, some stuff from that. Um, as I said, she's she's a highly successful, highly driven person and and really innovative, and you know was was running her, her agency that way well before COVID hit. So for her, it was just like, yeah, cool, yeah, business business as usual. So re- yeah, really want to thank you, Katie, uh, for coming in to the studio. My first guest on this podcast in in person, uh, which is a little bit different for me, having uh, having not had any face-to-face social interaction with anyone for a while. That's not true. But anyway, thank you to The Cover for doing this, allowing us to have all this equipment and cool, cool, cool shit to, to, uh, to, produce, to produce this podcast. Uh, make sure you head across to thecover.com.au. That's where all of, all of the content is is centralized. You've got the Daily Dribble podcast on there. Tobias Canning has a has a column. Uh, I do a column. Uh, yeah, there's there's plenty plenty happening there. Head to the social media channels. Uh, at the moment, the handle is at the cover uh, with an AU at the end. At the cover AU. Uh, I think that's changing at some point. Uh, I'm not sure, but that's sort of where it is at the moment. So. Give it a follow, particularly on Instagram. That's sort of where we are most active. Head over to the Give Em Liam Instagram page uh, where there, there are some 
other bits and pieces on on there that that I think you'll enjoy. Uh, picked another Super Rugby team of the week, so check that out. And if you if you think you can do what I do, if you think you can you can podcast, even if you can't, even if you think you can't, even if you want to, I implore you to hit when they put it up the Riverside tile on the website because it will change your life. And it, and it also has applications for your business. You know, if you're running seminars, if you're running meetings, don't want to pay for Zoom, this is a much better platform. I'm, I'm recording on it right now. Record most of my podcasts on it. Uh, great for remote for remote broadcasts live streaming, gaming, gamers use it uh, quite extensively. So if you want to get it, get it. If you want to get a podcast started, get it. Because we get a cut. (laughs) All right. Thanks again to the cover. Thanks again to Riverside. Thanks again to Katie. And I will be back next week with another interesting guest from, you know, another content creator. So that'll be interesting. So stay tuned. See you next week. Have a good week. Go the Rumblies.